when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Internet's premier, strangely structured film podcast, My Turn. Every once in a while, we here at Waypoint convene to discuss tangentially related movies. This week, I'm Renata Price, and it's my turn. So I forced everyone to watch Andrei Tarkovsky's 1981 film, Nostalgia. Joining me today, as always, is Rob Zachney. Hello, hello. Patrick Klepik. I'm here. And Ricardo Contreras. Are you sure you're here, Patrick? I don't know, I might still be watching that film. (laughs) (laughs) I attempted to write a nostalgia-themed intro that flowed properly, but much like carrying a lit candle across an active hot spring, it ended up being a futile effort. So before we before I do a, a quick plot summary, I, I'm really curious how how this landed for everyone. I think I hey, I have an impression of how Patrick felt about the movie based on the last 15 seconds. I but. don't have to go first. Do not do not. <laughs> I don't I don't need to be a, a, a wet fart to start the podcast about a movie that you quite liked. So please, please. <laughs> go <around the> <laughs> All right. Um, Kato, I want you I want you to start us off. Oh, I caught you mid bite. Mm. Oops. <laughs> No, it's okay. Sorry. Okay. Imagine not bringing lunch to a podcast. <laughs> uh, couldn't, couldn't be, be waypoint. Got to got to finish that before we start the podcast. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I I um essentially, I think I enjoyed this film more than I did Stalker on my first watch. Um, mostly because I think something about even though these are very similar uh, films in their kind of um, aesthetic, uh, like, proclivities, I guess. Like, obviously, it's the same director, but it's, like, even, like, compared to some of his other work, like, Stalker and this feel, like, very much aligned in a lot of ways. Um, But something about this one feels like he reined in some of the, the space, and, like, just a bit. Just just enough to make it like, oh, okay, you know. I, look. Reined back, in is in. how I would describe nostalgia. Like, Tarkovsky's like, Compared man, I got some to, Do you remember how long some of those shots back. are in Stalker? Yeah, and I, I, I would describe them as the opposite. If we watch these in reverse order, I would say Stalker is a re- restrained version yeah. of, of this film. St- there, are, there are shots in Stalker that last longer. I, that is no, not no, 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 true. That, that is not yeah, true. That's, if you're, if you're the, measuring it with a stopwatch, yes. But if you're talking about, like, what a visual interest is happening in the shot, I would say there is probably, like... The shots in Stalker, I think, like, I see the purpose of them more clearly than I sometimes do with uh, nostalgia. Or at least, like, I, I like 
nostalgia, it is uh, like we're really going to linger over some stuff. I'm, I, I want to go back and like take a stopwatch to the the river, the river shot in in Stalker. It is, it is four minutes. OK, uh, I believe, which is less, uh, which is less than the longest, less but the long one the is. Longest. Is also like an amazing shot. I like the longest, which was like what nine minutes is what, yes, what that one is. It is that a nine-minute shot. Um, uh, it is incredible to me. So oh, good. shit, I have so love. fucking beautiful. And like, I really, I don't know. Maybe it's partially because the way that it gets set up is, um, you know, obviously you have the name of the film, nostalgia. You're already kind of. I was already kind of in like thinking about memory and dream space is like mindset that it felt like a lot of these shots like i don't know i liked it i think i think it's actually it feels more like like what you were saying about stalker rob but i feel that about nostalgia i feel like the shots in there are some shots in stalker that feel like we're tone setting but the meaning making is not happening in the aesthetics here i feel like all the aesthetics are part of the meaning making in like a very more a more deliberate way, um, and maybe that's because I was already thinking about memory, and memory can be such a like sometimes it's dreamlike, and some some of these things are either memories or dreams or visions, like in a way where like I don't know, I felt like Stalker was supposed to be something that was weird that existed in the real world, and this feels like it's a real world thing that's interspersed by dreamlike sequences, in like a much more like okay, we're moving between these spaces fluidly and... Well, it's like, I mean, it's that our experience of the past ceases to be be reality, at like, re- right. like recognizably uh, reality. Like, so much of this is about the fact that there is the alienated present, and then there is the readily legible, but yet more abstract and dreamlike past, uh, and, and the way the two are, like, woven together through yeah. everything. Right. And also like the fact that the past becomes a perpetual like if you, when you are dwelling on the past, it becomes a part of the present. And like this is why the utility of like cuts in film is is so great is that it you know creates a, a somewhat causal relationship between two things. And so even when you are getting shots of the past, the past is then explicitly in conversation with the exact moment in which the character like currently is. Um, and so, you know, the, nostal- the, the nostalgia is constantly uh, affronting itself onto the present in like a really, like, I think, well done way. I Rob, think, how did you come down to the... Oh, sorry. Please I was just going to say one last thing. I think also, to me, even the shots that lingered had more visual interest in ways that they chose to change up lighting in the middle of shots, where a lot of stalker like uh shots didn't dramatically change in their lighting scenes sometimes shifted a little bit but for the most part lighting wasn't a big focus it was more about scenery um in this one there's a lot of really really beautiful uh tricks of like literal tricks of light that are that have really interesting that make for some really interesting cinematic moments i think yeah rob where did you uh overall come down on this uh you know it's a great film that i'm not like I'm still working through my feelings about it. I think I'm uh, of of a couple different minds about it. On the one hand, uh, like it is obviously a film of great craft. And I think it is very poignant in places. I think the way that the film revolves around like 
two characters really who are in different ways uh sort of reconciling themselves with 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 death um and their experience of yeah the present versus versus the past or the memories of the past uh like it's all beautifully done and yet at the same time like i find it such a slow film mm-hmm. and i also It's a beautiful exploration of a very relatable theme, but I'm not sure I find the theme as interesting as Tarkovsky does, if mm. that makes sense. Uh, like, for me, it is uh, like a rather elaborate and... What's the way to put it? Um yeah, it's 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 a rather elaborate and detailed study of something that is also a bit pedestrian, uh, with a with a weird weird side helping of like gender politics. Yeah, uh, Tarkovsky notes that this is when talking about this, this is his most personal film by yeah. like a a wild degree for reasons that I want to get into in a sec. After Patrick, bring us brings around. <sighs> what to say? <laughs> About a film that feels like you're watching a screensaver. What to say about a movie that feels like someone left the camera on, forgot to hit stop, and went, well, I guess we'll just edit it together. On a more, like a more serious note, uh, this is the kind of film, it's it's like, these films are not for me, like art house, like slow track films are, I need more to grab onto, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, And that is just, I knew fundamentally going into this film that I was going to have to approach it from a different angle because... I just knew, like, I watched Docker. It was, like, beautiful piece of work, and I knew this one had less uh, meat on the bone than, than Stalker was going to have. So I knew I was going to have a trouble even just purely paying attention to it. Like, just on a practical level, this is the kind of film that really suffers watching at home when I can be doing anything else. It's the kind of film that if I was going to get more out of it, just knowing my own personal habits and my attention span... I wish I could have been in a dark theater in which you feel like a pressure that you can't leave, right? Mm-hmm. Like there is something about being in a theatrical experience or around other people in which you can't pick up your phone. Like you can't, oh, well, I'll just, I mean, it's kind of slow. What am I going to miss for the next five minutes? I'll like, I'm going to go turn the laundry over. And I found myself longing for like a way to actually center myself to mm-hmm. have appreciated what even was in this film more because I, I I regularly found myself incapable of doing so. And knowing that's like a personal kind of bugaboo. Like there are times where space matters in a film. And I do think like a Tarkovsky film benefits from like being in a big theater in the darkness. Like this is a space to experience this. And uh, I, I felt that acutely uh, watching this. I mean, even people who really like Tarkovsky agree with you, right? Like, one of the things that people have described his movies as is, like, it making it very clear that, like, I don't mean it's boring, but it is about sitting with things and sitting with time in such a way that, like, feels a sibling to boredom. It's, like, trance-like. Well, At its best, they are trance-like, and in doing so, like, make you feel unplaced from time. And I think that like being in a theater is one of those places where a physical space built around displacing you from a normal flow of time and instead into like the specific flow of time in a film. I will say though, to me, it almost 
like, and I think this might be a, I'm not sure the form that it takes serves it particularly well, because like one thing I kept thinking about as I watched it was, I think this movie would be more legible and enjoyable in some ways if it were like an installation running in a museum uh, that like you're not necessarily experiencing linearly. You are experiencing uh, in like loops. Uh, like I, I was thinking a lot about like uh, various John Comfort works that I've that I've seen, uh, which are like they are films, but they tend they they also tend to be exhibited a lot uh, as installations uh, in in museums. And part of it is the experience. The way you experience a lot of those films is you know as a sort of moving as just like moving image and and sound that you like you pass into the room you observe for a while you move on maybe you come back and you see something different uh and you, you know the the meaning of it is almost assembled non-linearly and it becomes like uh almost musical in in sort of the uh repetition of themes and i think in some ways that would uh, like that is kind of how this movie feels. I'm not saying necessarily it should have mm. like that. That's the way to experience it. But I, for me, that is how the film felt uh, in many ways, in, in part because all those long shots with, with slow evolutions of what is in the frame, slow changes of the light. Uh, all of that is so deliberate where you are viewing it, not necessarily as someone watching a movie for like a story or like character development, you are watching it for uh, to, to study the image itself. I mean, I think that this is part of like, and this is going to be an, an, an ins- I, I, I'm aware that what's about to come out of my mouth is an insane comparison. Mm-hmm. One of the other reasons that I, I thought this would be an interesting one to, to follow um, hail Caesar is that like hail Caesar is a collection of vignettes. Uh, effectively, right? They're vignettes, but they are interconnected. And then this movie is in a wildly, wildly different way, also a collection of vignettes. And I thought that like, it's really interesting to look at the different way that vignette can be used. And like these, these moments and fragments can be used to like tell something over the course of a film, right? Where, you know, Hail Caesar uses it to create this composite narrative of dozens of people's, um, you know, threads throughout. Uh, it's, you know, similar to our duration. It tells like 10 people's worth of stories. Um, nostalgia uses all of these vignettes to instead hyper focus on one guy's experience of what could what feels at, at once like a week of time and years. Uh, and I think that, like, it's in that way, it's 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 really sick uh, and really interesting. Uh, do you want to pause here and just give the the outline of what yeah. this what this is? Yeah, no. So that, that's the, actually what is going to work into is the fact that like this is Tarkovsky's most personal film because uh, uh, nostalgia is the first film that Tarkovsky makes outside of the Soviet system. Uh, he makes his first five movies uh, underneath uh, Moss Film and the Soviet censors. Uh, goes through the entirety of his career, and then during the process of writing Nostalgia and and through the production process, Moss Film uh, keeps trying to censor it uh, and eventually uh, pulls support for the project. Uh, and so Tarkovsky goes into artistic exile uh, and goes to produce the film in Italy, where the film is set and follows a uh, similar uh, to Tarkovsky, a Russian poet, uh, Andrei Gorkachev, who is dying of heart disease as he meanders through the Italian countryside as a research for a biography of an obscure Russian composer. 
He's joined by an Italian interpreter, Eugenia, who appears to fall in love with him in spite of herself, feelings which Andre rejects, leading to Eugenia abandoning him in the Italian countryside. While there, he also meets Domenico, a man who locked his family in their home for seven years, fearing the end of the world, before they are rescued by the local community and Domenico was institutionalized by the fascist state. Domenico asks Andre to complete his goal of carrying a lit candle across the hot spring at the nearby resort. Andre has an equally strange conversation with a young girl before receiving a call from Eugenia reporting that Domenico is in Rome performing a demonstration, which concludes with his self-immolation. Unbeknownst to Andre. In the film's final scene, Andre returns to the spa to find the hot spring drained and struggles to carry a lit candle across the drained basin before passing away of what is implied to be heart disease. So it is a series of these, like, six vaguely interconnected uh, vignettes over the course of probably several months, uh, but that is left completely indeterminate uh, in terms of like how much time is actually taking place and is like basically a mirror of uh, Tarkovsky's own experience uh, producing this film in Italy in exile uh, from Russia. And he describes it as a nostalgia, uh, like the name of the film with the H in there, as a uniquely Russian feeling. Uh, it, it, it describes not just, um, you know, desire and longing for the past, but a kind of existential sickness uh, that will eventually drive uh, the person to death. And so this is Tarkovsky's most personal film because he's literally trying to reckon with the specific form of nostalgia while making it. And I think that, like, that is what leads to a lot of this, like, oh man, this is really meandering, huh? It's because it's this one guy's effectively diary via uh, film production. And it leaves it in this, like, to me, really effective emotional space. But I really liked it, but I also think it is a deeply flawed movie. Uh, I am curious. It is, like, known for its aesthetics, and those are probably the easiest thing to grab onto was there like a particular shot from this movie that really landed with anyone uh as hmm? last shot breathtaking just absolute like there are a lot of shot there are a lot of great shots uh in this but the final shot is one of those like take a bow type moments because we get the like we get the close uh not necessarily close up but it is a medium shot of uh, Gorkchev and, the, and the, the dog that has sort of uh, been sort of a unifying uh, theme companion in this uh, figure in this film. And we keep pulling back as we see them today. And in the background, uh, you know, we now get into focus the like rural peasant's home where, uh, you know, it seems he grew up and he has all these mm-hmm. memories of uh, growing up with his mom and his sisters uh, in this in this home. And we keep pulling back and they've embedded that like Russian landscape into the ruins of the church with the vacant windows behind him. Uh, It is. It's like three different shots that all like that are all recursion, like uh, recursive into one another. Mm -hmm. And each shot is is great on its own. The final reveal um, with the snow beginning to fall in uh you know not we don't know if it's august but the way it echoes um domenico's prayer uh in in his final scene like that that entire shot that moment uh was was incredible and then again like you know one thing that i think there are extensive portions of this movie where i'm not particularly enjoying it but then there's a lot of these moments where the payoffs are are, are quite striking and i like i i i 
feel utterly rewarded for having seen that concept unfold uh, mm-hmm. on the screen. Yeah. Patrick, were there any shots that you that you liked that you came away from this being like, oh, I think this is like really like that stand out to you is like, oh, this is pretty. And I liked at least seeing this, even if it went on a bit long. Well, I mean, weirdly, for as long as the candle scene goes on, it probably could have gone on longer and been just fine. And the reason I mean, I don't think it's any shock that that would be the scene that I latch on to because it has the most dramatic tension in in the film. And I don't even I don't even mean that to be sarcastic as much as like there's just so I would be so curious to know how many times that was shot. Like <laughs> what was planned as much as just you're just going to walk back and forth for s- several hours and then we'll see which one is the most. In- I mean, I'd be so curious on the the literal production of how they like, you know, when the candle goes out, going back and forth, how much of that is just <laughs> he just couldn't keep it. You know, and I'm like I just, I'm just it's just a curious shot given there's the era in which it's made. It's like there's what's there is there. There's nothing to hide. There are no visual effects allowing the dramatic it, it is purely just the camera and, and and the unease and i think the part of the reason it stands out is because as i snapped to attention in it and because it was for me it was the most successful use of okay we are going to in some sense bore you to tears on watching this long lingering shot but in doing so it's sort of a I was I forget which I'll have to look up which essay. I was like I was actually enjoying reading more about this film after mm-hmm. I saw it than I was in the watching, which is also what happened with Stalker. I enjoyed the discussion of it much more than I did of the watching. And <laughs> like one I'll look up the essay and credit in a little bit, but like you know they were talking about like like how that shot in particular a lot of Tarkovsky stuff, it becomes sort of a self-examination of time. And yeah. uh because you don't really recognize time in film and this is so true in modern film right like i watch i watch a lot of you know movies that come out uh these days even movies that are made by you know really high-end directors and things are just fast when you watch kid stuff it's even faster when i watch sleeping beauty i watch that all the time my youngest is into it that movie is slow as fuck it's beautiful it's gorgeous but it is slow compared to anything that you're watching and you just modern filmmaking whether by just the way audiences have been trained, filmmakers are, I, I don't know what you, how you exactly chart it, but you're rarely given time to become self-aware like during a shot. Um, and frequently in, in Tarkovsky's work, you do become self-aware of the viewer, like your anxiety as the viewer over like, what's, what, are we, what are we doing here is clearly purposeful. Um, and even that doesn't work for me most of the time, that scene it did. And 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 uh, I, I found it very effective. So did you get that? Like, is this the moment where you get the trance like feeling of like, OK, cool. I'm in it. I'm 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 in it. I don't know that I'm capable of it. Um, I, I, I don't this. Maybe this isn't the perfect uh, analogy, but it's sort of like when I would go to the mall when I was a kid and I would look at those 3D. What are the what are those things called? You stare at it and you yeah. just see the 3D, the 3D image. I picture, I forget what they forget. Yeah, yeah the couldn't stereo. do it. Couldn't do it. Someone else would walk up and uh, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I can see the pyramid. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, that's cool that I, I I believe you that it's possible. I think that's just a sort of a shorthand of like it. it what I appreciated about that moment was it gave me a window into what people who better appreciate this artist are getting out of the work, mm-hmm. even if that particular trick does mm-hmm. not work on me. I do not 
whether it's this particular artist and how they portray things or just this style of film doesn't really, I can't get myself into that place. I do think if I was more into drugs that I think I would enjoy this film a lot more. <laughs> it's been a while since I've gotten, hi, can I admit that on a podcast? I already did it. Legal. <laughs> Hit me up later. But like, I'm pretty sure like an edible in this movie, it's legal in Illinois now. We're cool. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure like an edible in this movie would have gone a long way oh, for Patrick. Real nice. And so I'm going to, uh, if somehow we wrap around to something like this, maybe I can, I think I would like, I, I think psychologically I'm built in a way where it is like difficult for, to even get into that headspace. And I would like literal need literal aid to get there. Yeah. I <laughs> I think the only, the only thing I would worry about is watching this movie high is um, I don't know. Did everyone else watch the, the, the same, I feel like we probably all watched the same transfer. There is some like pops in the audio of the transfer that I watched mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that would be, deeply unpleasant to me (laughs) while while absolutely blasted there are some there are some sounds that come out of this movie where i was like "Ooh, that was not intended Ooh, (laughs) you should have was there not a better copy laying around anywhere jesus christ i don't think this Mm. has like a 4k transfer right like Mm -mm. uh, the best i found was was hd when i was poking around yep the it is the least um it is like i believe the second hardest um tarkovsky film to like track down original copies of like original mm. 35 millimeter copies of because the rest of them were preserved by Moss film, right? They were um, preserved by like the Soviet film industry. And so there are a tons of copies of them. Uh, and so gotcha. this one was uh, a bit more of a limited release and also one of his like slightly less popular works. Uh, and so it was hard to track down, uh, which is why the transfer is the way it is. Um, speaking of transfer, let's transfer over to Kato. Kato, <laughs> is there a shot from this film that you like really, really resonated with you? Um, yeah, a lot. There's, there's a, there's a few, there was one in particular that I appreciated, uh, like on a very technical level where there's a scene where Andre is going to sit at his bed, um, in the hotel and they managed to take out every bit of light that was touching him and he becomes this black shape, like on the background Mm. like, he looks like he's emitting darkness almost is how like dark he is compared to the rest of the scene around him. Um, and as he like tries to stay up, but not fall asleep, then ends up falling asleep. Um, that was like really great. There's also another, like a very quick shot of, uh, what's her name? Eugenia. Yeah. Um, outside of, Andre's door in the hotel. I think it was like almost the same scene mm-hmm. where he opens the door and the light isn't hitting her face and she's in shadow in such a way that you like for me at least it I felt like I was almost like wait is this Maria is this in are we in black and white zone or color zone there's a lot of moments because this you know we haven't actually talked about this conceit here but like there's a very obvious like Black and white is meant to be visions. Color is meant to be like quote unquote real. Um, and there, but there are lots of moments where it's hard to tell sometimes which mm-hmm. mode we're in. Um, and the the one the one in the beginning, honestly, of the car. You know, after we get the kind of opening scene, Ugh. there's a car coming in that comes into the scene, drives around, and comes leaves, and then comes back in from the way it left, and. It looks black and white, just like the scene before it, the opening scene where you have the 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 kids and and his wife going down the hill. 
until it stops and you see the red of the like stoplight turn well, on. Okay, this was driving me nuts. Like, had he just crushed all the color out of the shot and the only thing the film picked up was the red, or was it a post effect? Because like it is such a striking like yeah. there is no other even her hair. I was like, am I seeing the, the a trace of the red in it? I couldn't. But that red tail light yeah. was burning so brightly. <laughs> and I was so- like, this can't be this cannot he cannot have done this. I think it, that, it also yeah. it also might be a transfer issue because I've seen screenshots of different transfers that are a little bit more vibrant, and uh, but just like had other issues with them, and so I'm starting to I, I think it is a mix of this is a this is a bad this is like a mediocre transfer, and also uh, it is a desaturated desaturated aesthetic that might have some post production on it. You're right, Rob. Yeah, yeah, I definitely um, feel like the shadow shot definitely had some sort of post like. Uh, dodging or whatever or the other way around but we just need to accept that we are in the uh presence of a master when it comes to shooting up shooting like fucked up foggy landscapes (laughs) and soaking wet ruins let my man direct a silent hill film you know if we could just pluck him him out you know i know that's not possible in the the current timeline but let me let me imagine no you're patrick you're so correct let me see andre tarkovsky's silent hill give give me that world i want to see andre tarkovsky's pyramid head i think it's it's called solaris just for what it's worth uh so the the other thing, so I actually that opening shot uh, is one other thing I want to want to call out because so much of what is going to be happening in this movie is laid out in that shot too. We have the uh, so it opens with uh, like women singing a song mm-hmm. as a group of women of different ages descend a hill toward uh, where in like the, like against this like misty lake uh, a mm-hmm. pale horse stands alone. And they all like stand there on this hillside taking in the horse and like it's it's a moving image. Nothing seems to be happening until one of the figure turns around, looks back up the hill toward the camera and it freeze frames. Mm-hmm. And it is and it is a thing that like uh, I don't want to call it like <laughs> when we think of fourth wall breaking, we tend to think of it used like comedically. Yeah. Mm. But here it is very pointed in terms of like characters regarding the observer or regarding the point of view uh that that we are inhabiting and that at once transforming the scene uh in in some ways and that opening shot is such a powerful like this is what we're going to be doing in this movie is like we go from a realm of memory to the memory almost becoming like aware of the observer and transforming it into well, nostalgia to it, to it, to a yeah. still frame. Yeah. And like, it's, it's so good. The fact that like, I could not tell there's like a 10 second period where I couldn't tell if it had actually frozen and become a still image. And like that shit, delicious, <laughs> in, incredible to me where it's like, okay, cool. This film is going to be actively fucking with your perception of time to the point where you are second guessing even what you are actually seeing on screen. Um, I think that's, I think that's really sick. I also just, there's something for me about one of the first shots of the movie where the car comes onto screen, crosses the entirety of the frame, leaves the frame from guessing like what feels like 30 seconds. And you know, it's going to come back on the other side, you know, it's going to wrap around somewhere. And then it wraps around in the foreground, further away from the destination that you know, it's going to. 
And then like, it's this really excellent moment of displacement for me where it's like, oh, okay, cool. This is going from the background, from the mid ground into the foreground. And then these characters are going to walk for like 30 seconds, a minute and a half into the background. Uh, I think that like one of the, the the best things in this movie is is its use of foreground and background uh, and the way that like people move in and out of different modes uh, of, you know, different areas of the screen. I think it's, I think it's really, really sick. There's also some like uh, Kata that scene you were talking about. I actually think that there is a um, when she's standing there in the doorway. Yeah, it is a pan back zoom. Uh, where it is like the the cameras like being you know pulled uh, back zoom. exactly a dolly zoom. Thank you. Uh, it is a dolly zoom, but it's so slight that I barely noticed it was happening. Yeah. Uh, for a minute yeah. there, and then I was like, "Wait a minute, this is a dolly zoom." We're moving. Yeah. Ugh. There's a lot of very small, almost imperceptible movements. The one of the like most striking times that the movie does it too is in that last shot, or not the last shot in the um in the candle shot. Like, mm-hmm. which I didn't notice until like the second time around. I was like, "Wait!" The further he got, like we were we were we were cropping in much closer, and then like the, the time that he actually makes it across, <laughs> like you end up fully in on just his hands. Um, but it like, yeah. She also takes a she also like imperceptibly like either I don't know if she takes a full step back or just leans back into the light to show that then. Okay, mm-hmm. here's where we are. We're back in uh the, the real world and you can see who right. she is again. Um but it feels uncanny because it's also like the camera's moving ever so slightly. Her movement is almost like imperceptible in and of itself. Um and it's just like all these little things that I really that I really feel build up to like this this un the sense that like there, I don't know. This didn't feel as still of a movie to me as Stalker did. Um, even when the well, it's, it's more of an urban. I mean, like the like the setting itself. There's just yeah. Even if uh, there's not a what we'd call like traditional action occurring on the screen, there are people. Yes. There are there is noise. You know, Stalker is 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 isolated, and yes. so I, I can I can I think a lot of that is born out of purely the the setting itself. <laughs> You know what? I'm just. It just occurred to me. I think the reason like this feels like a more inert film to me, Kato, is I think probably right visually. Uh, actually, this is pretty dynamic in in ways the Stalker is not. But for me, the dynamism in Stalker, like there's there's nothing in this film I think that quite reaches like the uh, speech that the writer gives in Stalker. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like there are there are major like plot and character pivot points in Stalker that like this is a different, different type of film. And that's what sure, I, that is sure. what I tend to look for, for uh dynamism. And so I think this is maybe why I like, for me, this is a film of like stillness and not a lot happening, even though there is no equivalent in stalker really to uh, the establishing sequence around the baths where mm-hmm. we follow Domenico uh, as he listens to the bathers yeah. speaking about their trip, but also about him uh, and then sort of, follow back through that scene after Eugenia uh, like jo- joins in on it. And we, we get like this, we both suddenly understand the space of the yeah. baths, but also we have been introduced to who Domenico is in this community right. and like how he is treated. There's mm-hmm. a lot of like, yeah, there's a lot of social space being set up in different ways in the film, um, like subtly or 
um, like you know the opening scene in the church, and how she's asked to kneel with the God. other women, uh, and then the conversation that follows about you know gender essentialism, basically. But like, um, turns out the sacristan was right. By the way, <laughs> she just wants a good man to settle down with. Uh, it's yeah. Well, but no, he's more specific. He's definitely like because of because to have kids right which eventually her desire does feel more like she just wants a relationship well and there's a question of is she even aware like is she really aware of what she actually wants because we see the relationship she's got at the end when she's letting uh uh uh, andre andre uh he really is named andre yeah he's really named his father the poet in the same movie yeah 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 yeah, uh <laughs> when when she tell when when she tells Andre like how she's doing and she's with uh you know with a guy and they're going to be together, the picture we get of that relationship sucks. Yeah, um, like she's not doing anything. Made a horrible compromise, uh for for some form of like uh relationship or or, or stability, and what so even is, there like, what do we think is going on there? Because I had a, I had a, I was trying to figure out. I'm trying was- not to think he's a mobster. Oh, he's something. <laughs> like, he's like, uh, something. Absolutely. He's like a political figure. He, he, yes. He's giving the vibe of like a. He's not a political figure. He's a political like organizer. He is the political middleman. Mm. Like he 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 gives political middleman energy Look, to me. We're or all just some- trying not to say a Godfather, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I'm sorry to I'm sorry to our Italian <laughs> listener. No, but uh, it is. Like the entire dynamic is weird. He is in yeah. like a a formal office. He has supplicants who he's pointedly ignoring. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he's having yeah. He's eating dinner while two people like wait, and then he does this yeah. thing. He does this thing where he grabs the edge of the tablecloth, lifts up a corner, and one of them places what looks like a stack of money and to me at it. least, and then he like covers it back up. And I'm like, what just happened here? But nobody, um, but yeah, but like nobody can say they, they gave him the money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Like, nobody can. And, uh, I don't know. Okay. The, maybe this is, this is, I, I know this is me reading more than we were given into mm-hmm. this, but it, for me, some, there was something about given that a, a lot of this, film especially after the initial setup at the at the top like of him being you know he's left russia he's in italy and the the kind of time that it is that like eugenia or these two people are like are like basically keeping tabs on andre for just like political reasons right like any sort of any sense of there being more to their relationship to me felt like mediated by this like oh but you're from russia and everyone is fucking like we're just watching oh see i didn't feel i didn't feel that he was being surveilled oh i think i didn't think he was until kato said it but like (laughs) think about the way that every single character in the movie talks about him he is always the russian poet yeah they never don't say that he is russian right like it's never like, oh, Andre, unless it's specifically Eugenia referring to him. It's always the other people, even that, even the ones that like seem to know his name, will refer to him first as the Russian poet. Um, and like, I think it's also like just thinking about the time frame, right? Like, this is mm-hmm. you know before the wall comes down. Like, there's still like lingering, like 
uh, even though it's a lot less obviously and you can travel, like lingering, um, uh, you know, tensions uh, of people leaving and entering. Like Andre Tartowski himself can't go back. Right. Right. Like, is in exile. Is in exile. So like, that's and why like, for some reason that scene pushed me into thinking about like, like yeah, is I think he might be a political figure of some sort, and maybe there's like a underhanded deal happening here. Um, but more specifically, what it, I think what it served to do to me is like, like twist a little bit what the Eugenia Andre relationship was headed towards or could have been or would have been right like see and this is this for me i think is is where the movie really does let itself down because i think there's a version of this film where um andre and eugenia are on a road trip and we mostly spend our time contemplating how at first they don't like each other but through the magic of italian cuisine (laughs) and the wisdom of some kindly Mm -hmm, uh like mm -hmm. italian grandmothers Uh and uh like the the devout like uh village lunatic they learn like important lessons about life and love someone still gets set on fire by the end (laughs) oh yeah you keep that no yeah you keep that yes but comedically (laughs) <laughs> ah, also, oh, so at the end when the Mama guy is Mia. writhing on the ground, that's like, the one like, spicy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being Mama goofy Mia. with it. Come on, everybody. Um, God. Uh, yeah, I mean, can I, I, that, can I oh, yeah, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, please. I was going to, I wanted to ask a question. Um, yeah. I meant to ask this earlier, but I understand. I know, Rob, Robin Cotty, you had not seen this movie, right? This is the first time? Yep. Okay. But understand why it's in your wheelhouse <laughs> and sort of yeah. thing. Um, certainly now, Ren, knowing you pretty well for a year now, like, I get it. I see the connection. But I'm just curious if you can unpack how, because in me, my re- after watching this and reading about it, reading yeah. the scathing New York Times review of this film when it came out, I have to read the quote later. It's <laughs> too goddamn funny. Um, <laughs> but, like, I, there are people who can be fans of Tarkovsky, but maybe not have gotten to this one, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a lower rung one for a lot of people the way you were describing it. How, how do you even arrive at this film? I mean, I, I arrive at this film through through essay, right? Through other people's essays about Tarkovsky and about film broadly. And then also my like background in in poetry, right? Like okay. so much. Right, because this- that's the big thing I picked up on in reading about this film was I, this is again new to me because I'm not as familiar with with his background, but like being described more as like a poet that happens to make films. And so that I see that connection pretty clearly now in your attraction to his work. Yeah, he is a poet and filmmaker and uses both mediums to the same ends, right? Like, his work is, the book he wrote is called Sculpting in Time. That is the that is the name of the book. It is, it is quite literally like the, the thing we were talking about earlier where, uh, you know, the nine-minute scene of carrying the mm-hmm. candle is, is about time and is about him shaping time. That is the entirety of his career and his artistic practice uh, is rooted in like shaping time in different ways. And this is part of why I think that like there's a conversation between Eugenia and um, Andre where she's talking, she's reading translated poetry uh, and she's like, Oh, this translator is a really excellent poet. And then Andre kind of gets mad at it. And he's like, it, it can't, it cannot be. It might oh, be that was going to be my favorite exchange in the movie. I, 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 I kept thinking about, the ramifications of what they were talking about separate from the character. I was like, I've never really thought about what is it? Can you, 
Yeah, how much are you capturing in a translation says localization? I just kept thinking about that. Well, as and the movie l- kept later going. in her big kiss off. And by the way, I improve on the original. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's yes. so it's so good. But also, like, this is part of like the the central theme. One of the central themes of the movie to me is like, can can things be translated? Right. This is why um, Tarkovsky has previously said that like nostalgia is a specifically Russian feeling. The version of nostalgia this movie is about is a specifically Russian feeling. And so part of the relationship between Eugenia and Andre to me is Tarkovsky desperately trying to figure out if this can be translated. Can does trans is translation possible, right? Can you ever feel at home somewhere else? Um, and like, I think that the film comes to a different conclusion than its characters, uh, in a way that I find like really fascinating. And like, one of the questions that I was going to ask was, uh, off of this is like, this film is filled with a lot of weird conversations between people. And I was really curious if any of like the lines or like conversations actually landed for folks. And I'm like really glad to hear Patrick that the conversation about translation. And yeah, I missed the next five minutes. I was just, I was just, I was, cause I've done a lot of like writing and reporting about localization and video games and like what it means to try and capture the original spirit of a thing because it to do a, like a, a direct translation is not actually to capture what the original mm-hmm. creator was doing. That's, there's a lot of debate on how exactly one accomplishes that. And that my wheels just kept turning on that because I had done so much work on that before that I, I found myself really captured. Cause I hadn't really thought about every, every way that I've ever written about it and reported on has always been like the good faith efforts of folks to try and capture the original visions of mm-hmm. a work in 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 translating it and localizing it i hadn't thought about the flip of that which is someone just taking the position that um i i guess there's not even necessarily a negative version of this which is that all you can do is try and capture as much as you can but you'll never capture the full thing mm-hmm. and knowing that there i guess there's sadness in it but it's also kind of i think that's kind of cool i think there is something really interesting in the notion that you can never quite truly understand a thing if you are separated from the work and a language barrier is about, you know, one of the biggest ones that mm-hmm. can, can be can be created. I think and like Oh, oh I was just, just gonna say, say like, I think it also uh, um uh they they extend it past language specifically and into culture when they bring yes, up music. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Which is yeah. which is really interesting to consider. It's like there's no translating like the idea of t- translating music because of its cultural like specificity, it's just like Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I when it's really in America, considered. you add a guitar <laughs> right. and then we're cool, right? You yeah. Know? But I mean, that's sort, sort of like what he's gesturing at is like if you were to, um, you know, to culturize a thing, like right. it, it gets messy really fast, but it's a really interesting thought experiment. Well, also, like context, like cultural as context, yeah. because yeah. that's the thing about Eugenia. She's fluent in both Russian and Italian. She is reading the Italian version because right. she thinks the Italian version is is written by a good poet. But like that's the that's the thing is that it is a different work, and she recognizes and acknowledges that it's a different work in that conversation. And Andre is still like dismayed or discomforted by that fact. And then we get this again. Um, this same like theme comes up a second time while the people in the spa are talking. Uh, there are people who are like in the spa having a conversation about the music that is being played there. And there's this like weird digression about the fact that uh, one of the people who who is, is at the resort likes listening to Chinese music uh, and yeah. is 
they're both like fascinated by and discomfort, both fascinated and discomforted by it, uh, because, you know, xenophobia. Uh, <laughs> but um, it is it is a really, really interesting, like through line for this movie that like leaves you with this question of can you actually understand a thing? Can a thing be conveyed to you? Well, I think that extends to broadly this movie is in many ways about the grief of exile. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also like the movies openly exploring the specificity of being a Russian exile. Like yes, mm-hmm. the reason he's in Italy is because he's uh, researching and visiting the home of a set, like a Russian composer from the 1700s who uh, I think he says like, went home to Russia to die, like yes. knowing that he was going like uh, knowing that he would, you know, effectively, it sounds like he was going to be a political prisoner if he went back uh, and, and still went uh, because after a certain point, the Liberty he had abroad was not as valuable to him as like being home uh, with, with all the complications that entails. And I think what one thing comes through here is that like, you know, there are, for me, the movie can gesture at things, but I can't fully, I can't fully experience them, experience them the way like Tarkovsky would, because I don't have the frame of reference. Like, right. I can mm-hmm. understand the power of the image of the farmhouse um, and, and the figure standing by it. But I don't know what, I fundamentally don't know what it was like to live there. I don't know how the air feels. I don't know how it sounds there. I don't know. I don't know what the inside of that home looks like. And I can maybe learn these things in a sociological sense, but it's still different from like living in. I think that's, that's one of the other things here is like, what's translatable. Uh, He like here, we are getting across this notion of being homesick for a land that maybe you can't or shouldn't go home to Um, being homesick for things that might look pretty hard scrabble and uh you know difficult if you know from from an outsider's perspective or from someone who sort of moved on from that phase in their life and yet like the nostalgia for these things is real but there are limits to how much people who are not of it can get it we can we can like get the association we can get the gist but there is a a specific grief uh in this film that i think is like known to like Russian members of the audience or people of a similar background to Tarkovsky. And this is where translation like runs up against some, some limits. This is also like the struggle of, of identity. Like one of the questions this movie is like, how do you form an identity? And like, not to lean into my, like my uh, background in like undergrad, but like uh, a distinction in Russian culture is uh, there are two words for Russian uh, and two words for Russian people, um, Ruski and Rusiski. Uh, Ruski is, I believe, Russian speaker who is Russian, uh, and the other one is ethnically Russian. And the question becomes, does the nation orient itself around the language, or does the nation orient itself around a particular ethnic group that is, you know, a small part of a, a broader, you know, history? And so... One of like the biggest questions um, in in Russia for the last, you know, since the fall of Soviet Union is how do you construct an identity? Uh, if if not as uh, empire, 
and if not as um, collection of like states um, in like terms of the, the Soviet states, what does identity look like? And then, you know, this film is kind of about, for me, Tarkovsky and, you know, Gorkachev trying to find some kind of sense of self outside of the confines of the Russian state from which they came. Uh, because if that's not an option, what do you do? Um, just to that, I think uh, some of this is underscored by his real imagined conversation with little girl Angela. Uh, and I think it's not real because, of course, we, he's had visions of the angel uh, standing outside the farmhouse mm-hmm. in some of his visions as well. Uh, but when he's talking to this child, he lapses into Russian. Uh, at, at a point in the conversation, specifically to tell a joke. Um, you know, this is sort of famously like the one that like humor is one of the hardest things to translate. And so he tells mm. this joke about like, um, you know, the, the point is people rescued a guy from from a slime pit. Uh, and he's like, what are you doing? That's my home. <laughs> and that's like, you know, that that is at once a joke about, I think, Russia, but also it's a joke that like is funnier in Russian at least this is not a joke that uh Andre is going to tell in his slightly halting Italian right there's a rhyming to it right in the delivery there is a rhyming that makes the pun it's a pun right it is at the end of it like oh that's my home is in part like there's a rhyming quality to it that gives it the the energy of a pun um and like and that's mm -hmm. not the only time that this movie kind of does that too there's Near the end, when um, Domenico is giving his speech, there's a giant banner behind him that says that is translated to "We're not crazy, we're serious." But the words for crazy and serious in Italian, "mati seri, mo mati, mo mati, mo seri," are like so close together that it becomes this kind of like internal rhyme situation that like does not translate when you just say the phrase "We're not crazy, we're serious." And then there's the conversation between Eugenia and Andre about faith. And about what the word for faith is, um, and uh, that is this difficulty of both translating a remembering a literal word and also translating a specific idea of faith that is being talked about mm. uh, by this other group of people. Um, you know, like I think I don't know it necessarily is contradicted by this. It's more um, one of the other things that runs this film is early on. Andre, uh, Andrei uh, Gorgachev is talking about how he wishes like the frontiers could be annihilated, that the, the boundaries yep. between nations uh, could yep. be done away with. And later, Domenico talked about a different annihilation of difference, which is that between the healthy and the, and the sick. And he's speaking very broadly, you know, in, in his in his definition, I think, you know, you'd say, well, he's obviously talking about himself, uh, you know, as uh, a guy who had a uh, like psychotic episode and has become sort of othered within the community as like the village madman. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, you know, he's also speaking about like all sort of outcasts and mm-hmm. uh, people who are sort of marked off by societies in some way, in some ways being unhealthy or, or, or sick or not useful uh, to, to healthy society. And his, is is, you know, part of his speech is about how, that difference needs to be broken down, but also specifically if the world is hell, it is the healthy society that has made it hell. Um, and 
so we we have this this other strain in this, which is on the one hand about like the specificity of culture and nostalgia and recollection, and on the other hand, we have these themes of universalism, uh, yearn for universalism. So I think that one of the the things I think is really cool about this movie is that it thinks that Andre is wrong. Uh, I I think it to some degree believes that Andre is wrong at least about translation. Uh, when there is a shot going through uh, Domenico, the church, the abandoned church, because um, this movie fucking loves abandoned buildings. Holy shit. <laughs> um, the abandoned ter- church in which Domenico lives, which is also just like so pretty. There's like the, the yeah. rain falling in that church. Is it a long shot? Yes. But like the rain falling into like dozens of bottles littering the floor mm-hmm. as these two men slowly walk through it for what feels like minutes that by the way that poor fucking cab driver was like i'm here for andre and then after 10 minutes of meandering through this church kind of soliloquying at each other uh, eventually they managed to get outside <laughs> and they get to the car the poor the, every every service worker in this movie is so put upon where that one guy shows up and he's like, yeah, I thought you wouldn't be leaving today. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had a feeling you'd be staying for an extra two days. I'll be honest, I kind of I kind of prepped for it. And he goes, can you drive me halfway across the country? And the guy's got to go, yeah, I, I guess. Um, that aside, on that wall, there is this carving that says one plus one equals one. Uh, and this is a this is a thing that you know, <laughs> Domenico gestures at, where he goes, there, there, "Look at this drop." And when I put another drop of liquid here, it's not two drops; it's a bigger drop. Which is like, <laughs> Dan Patrick, you're right. This movie would have been better, right? right? I, that, yeah, that <laughs> to support. Yeah, imagine when the edible hits. <laughs> it does become a bigger drop, but also like for me, so much of this movie is about synthesis. And like realizing that synthesis is to some degree possible. The one plus one, when you take two things and put them together, you don't get two two things. You get the product of those. And I think one of the things that uh, Gorkachev comes to terms with, and like part of the the film's ending for me, is that like he he knows he is dying. Right. This is a man who knows that he is dying from the minute we open this movie, even though, you know, it never says it until you realize he's been clutching his heart and taking pills the entire time. Um, And so this is a movie about a man who knows he's dying from minute one and knows he's dying in a foreign country and he cannot return home to Russia uh, for some extenuating circumstances, including his health. Because, you know, the worst thing than dying in Italy would be dying on the way back to Russia uh, is, is one of the things that I think is keeping him there. Um, his doctors prescribed a rigorous regime of moldy basements. Um, yes, this exactly. Is, this is what is keeping him alive. <laughs> hey, bud, we got to make sure that you're taking the wettest breaths that anyone's had in a minute. I bet that'll be really good, uh, good as a lifelong smoker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. As a lifelong smoker, we need you to take some taking some damp air. Just, just really, really moisten those lungs. Um, but he's like, you know, taking these pills for this entire movie. And the final thing that happens with with Domenico and and, and Andre talking is, <coughs> is Domenico goes, "Hey, I cannot do this. They will not let me do this. They will pull me from the pool every time I try to walk this candle lit across the bottom of this basin." Right. 
And then Andre is like, yeah, sure, bro. I'll do it. Yeah, whatever. Uh, And then he doesn't uh, until he gets the call from Eugenia. And she goes, hey, Domenico keeps asking if you did the thing you said you were going to do. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I, I did. And he has them, and he feels guilty about it. And so the last thing he does is, is he walks this, this candle lit across the bottom of this pool basin. It's an act for another person. It is, is completing another person's work effectively, is what he's doing, that, the, that, they, that you know, Domenico was unable to do. And I think for that, for me, part of that beauty of that shot is watching Gorkachev choose to invest himself in meaning created by another person, right? Like this is meaningful to this other person. I am going to commit to this. It's the last thing he does before he dies, right? He dies when he crosses that pool. And so he wants to have something. He wants to have something of his life. He's never going to finish this biography. He's never going to return to Russia. And so the final thing he does is an act of connection and understanding with someone who was completely outcast and exiled from their own like local community and it's i just think it's really well done and on that note i think we should take a break um this has been a really fun first half of the pod when it comes to your finances you think you've done it all You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hello, and welcome back from the break, where you may have heard an ad, or you heard, um, Kata, how many minutes of silence did you put in for the uh, Plus listeners? Nine minutes for the entire scene. <laughs> no, oh. it's, it's a little, it's a little music ditty. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, uh, welcome back. The thing I was curious about is we were talking a little bit about um, conversations between characters uh, right before we uh, hopped over into the break. And I was curious, did any of the like character emotional beats land for any of y'all um, in terms of just like small characterful moments where you were like, yeah, nice. Uh, yeah. Domenico's horror at what he did uh, in mm. that, in that interior monologue flashback, like there's a couple moments. I is just, that I think Domenico's? That's the great question because this is where we get the trick shot where uh, Andre envisions himself coming to a mirror and it's uh, in the in the reflection he is Domenico, uh, mm-hmm. but dressed in his garb, uh, not not Domenico's. Yeah, but like there is that moment of uh, I, you know for me what Dom- like Domenico's or Andre's projection of him. Uh, has this moment of realization of like the monstrousness of what he did mm-hmm. um to 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 his family out of his out of his fear and out of his, out of his faith yeah 
it's 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 such a good moment uh just also beautifully shot the the hand reaching and then you see it first in the mirror before you see it in the frame is like that's a pretty common thing to do uh in film but like it's just so effective i love it so much um it's 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 really well done also like after he looks at himself there's he like kind of crashes into the side of it and it's andre again like the the move Mm -hmm. there is really really nice too um I what I have a very I have a very kind of weird not weird but a very yeah weird read on this entire situation <laughs> uh on why this happens specifically mm-hmm. and what may or may not be the 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 status quo of Andre's family. Mm-hmm. Does anyone else think that Andre's family is dead? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was I. I kind of yeah. interesting. Took that. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's or at the, least there's if if not they are there's a high, there's a, there's a good chance. There's there's <laughs> so the, the 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 parallels I'm making here. First of all, there's like there's the angel outside of the room that, that he like right. looks back on, and there's no one else in that scene except for him and the angel. Like there's implications there. Um, but then tying him his family to what Domenico did and the the the, the dialogue there specifically, which was like, I know why, why did I do did this? It. My God, why did I do it? They're my children, my family, my flesh and blood. Years without seeing the sun, the light of day. Why? Um, and I mean, you know, there's like varying states of, uh, there's like varying uh, stories as to like who made it in and out of the USSR, like in like mm-hmm. an okay state, right? And the the like locking up parallel almost feels like it's like oh we should have left earlier or something like that it it's it's but there's still a nostalgia for having been from russia it's it's this competing mm-hmm. thing in andre i think where he's like he's either mourning like the death of his family that possibly starved to death who knows or it's all it's all just instead but like I, I don't know the, the angel specifically and tying it to Domenico and the fact that he's there with his family, like his family's in that field when he mm-hmm. appears at the end with the dog, which to me is like, he's dead. He's joined them. Right. Like he's been able to reconcile that because he's like now with them in the afterlife, like to me makes it feel like they died and he feels guilty about being the, the reason that they may have had, like he got out, but they didn't or something like that. It also makes me wonder if it's it's actually the inverse of Domenico, right? Where he knows he is dying and wants to leave his family so they don't have to be there. With, so he doesn't have to be in front of them as he dies. Like that is that is the thing that I left it being is, is him being like, I know why you did this is is for me him being like, am I in the way that Domenico trapped his family? Am I abandoning mine uh, for the same reason, which is fear? I'm afraid of them watching me die. Eugenia does allude to his wife and it would be like a world-class dick move if it was a you betrayed your wife and it's a dead wife and like it like that would be like dark Eugenia has uh, entered the chat so like well, I don't think as she far knows. as she knows right this is this is the as thing far as she knows they're alive but there is like to me there's a the stark black and white photography of his memories mm-hmm. of his wife uh the ways like we see her much is made of her pregnancy in those flashbacks, and also we see her lying dead on 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 the bed, almost as if in state. 
Um, like the like the imagery that the but that's all part of a lot of tangled imagery. Yes, um, yes, that is it hard to unpack. Is like clear. this is directly what it means. But like, there's there's also that line that Eugenio says earlier. It's like, oh, it's been like three days. Why haven't you called? Why haven't you called your wife? Which to me also like putting it all together is like, I don't think she's alive. I think he's lying. Oh damn! This is where John Hughes got the idea for planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> God damn it! So true, Bestie. Um, now we know what Patrick is doing for this film. <laughs> damn, Rob got me. But like, uh, Patrick, did I need to? Oh yeah, please. Cut off. Uh, I was just gonna wrap wrap up that that thought of like it 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 ended up feeling like one of the big themes was reconciling the nostalgia that he felt for his homeland with what it did to his what his homeland did to his family and what he feels guilty for yeah which is to me one of the reasons he takes up Domenico's sort of act of penance almost mm-hmm. anything for you Patrick we actually they stole it. They stole my ideas. Damn. Um, so good for them. <laughs> Damn. Congratulations, everyone else. I think for me, it's the first scene of uh, Andre in the hotel room because there's so many small character moments in that scene that I think are just really well done. I mean, one of them's been pointed out a lot, but like he reaches for the wrong side uh, for the light switch for the bathroom. Yeah. He like he reaches for the wall, hit like knows it's there, but it's not. It's not his home. It's on the other side and it really fucks him over. Like really like he stops and like pays attention to the fact that it's on the other side. And then there's something. I think that scene is just one of the better representations of depression I've seen in a really long time because he's moving at this like fucking glacial pace. It starts raining outside and it's like pouring and he goes over and he looks at the fact that it's pouring. He's like, I'm just going to wallow in this. Uh, let's let's make it worse. Throws open the windows. Yeah. And then the rain is just pouring in and like pooling on the floor. And then he takes his boots off and lays on the bed in the wrong direction. Yeah. He lays the wrong way off of the bed because he can't and, even bother to like. And this is this is that shot I was talking about earlier where he becomes this like almost fully black shape on the screen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really, really striking. And like, I feel like. Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe it was just like the the once I once I had that read in my head, it was like, yeah, this man is severely like in grief, depressed, yeah. all of it all at once. Um and like it's interesting. They they kind of choose for like these comp like this this scene and the scene before and before and right after it that all happened kind of in the hotel. Um this kind of his act of like turning on all the lights as this kind of like trying to stave off mm-hmm. like sleep, trying to stave off remembering um, when Eugenia is at the door and is in half in shadow. He like the first thing he does is reach outside for the, the light in the hallway to make sure it's like, okay, no, you're just Eugenia. You're not my possibly dead wife that I'm seeing walking as a specter in front of me. Right. Like, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it was beautiful beautiful stuff there <laughs> yeah um the other thing i was really curious about this movie has like some of the most beautiful sets i've ever seen just gorgeous gorgeous architecture that's like shot really well um and like one of the the essays i was reading about this movie talks about it as a architectural film 
uh, both in terms of like, uh, when it wasn't an essay, actually, I remember it was a very funny, an IMDB comment that was like seven paragraphs long because the most <laughs> annoying people on the planet leave IMDB comments for Andrei Tarkovsky's movies. And I respect when them we, so when, much. When do we, when do you graduate to essay? What is the, like, is it a word count? Is it ambition of idea? Like, when I, do we, when do you get, because com- I think a comment can be an essay. Yeah, I, I think that, right? Because yeah. an essay can be in a blog. I'm just wondering, like, do you de- is an essay declared by the creator or is that is it in, is it uh described by the reader? This is such a good question, Patrick. You're and you're and you know what? You're brave for asking it. Yeah, you <laughs> called it an essay, but I, it could have that could have been a pejorative. <laughs> no, it was it was actually Just, like interesting because it was talking about the film as architecturally constructed, right? It mm-hmm. is about the built environment. Uh and like the film itself is a built environment. Uh, and I think that like I couldn't stop thinking about it after I read it, uh, especially because of the way this movie just, oh, is a movie that loves a wet room, but also just like loves the decay of a room and, and really highlighting, um, the way that that like decay takes shape in, in physical form. And I think it was like, well, and, 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 and that's why, you know, even beyond the way that being in a, you know, as we move into an era in which the big screen doesn't have the same sort of appeal to mm-hmm. like a younger generation like that sort of like there's a bunch of movies that have come out this year the fablemans uh empire of sun uh there's a bunch of filmmakers making movies about empire of boy light, right empire of light empire of light that's right that's right uh that's the same mendez one i think yeah empire um, of the sun but a bunch is of, the spielberg yes yep. yes yes, yes. <clears throat> um but a bunch of movies about filmmakers making movies about films and about like a projection bulb going off and what that means to them and i there is something about beyond just the way like a being in a dark room focuses your attention like and it's why i asked if there had been a 4k restoration of this um just something there's a readily available blu-ray but like it just seems like the kind of movie that has such detail in Mm -hmm. its shots that i've got a nice tv right here i've got a nice projector in the other room none of them i think probably would allow me to appreciate the detail that is here in the same way as like seeing it on actual film projected in a, in an actual cinema. And there's, you know, no way to do that. I don't, I don't live in New York, the kind of place where <laughs> that probably is uh, something happening on Friday night. Um, but like to your point about like how gorgeous it does look and how much it sort of like luxur- luxuriates in its setting. Like it is the kind of thing that I, I, you just can't appreciate as much when just watching it at home. Maybe you can with Rob's setup. I don't know. Maybe Rob. Yeah, Rob, were you, are you built different? <laughs> I was, I was, I was feeling like I, I pretty, it was a treat. I was seeing it as intended. Uh, felt, felt pretty great. Were, were you transported <laughs> to the Italian countryside, Rob? Uh, you know, it's, this movie doesn't want to transport you. You know what I mean? It's like, there's movies that do like mm-hmm. want to tra- transport you to the, to the Italian countryside mm-hmm. and like put you there. This is like leaves you an uncomfortable like again like just just observing. Yeah. Uh, this is, yeah, it's not a tourist guy. It's no. not like you go at the end. It's like time to book a flight. Like this place seems cool. Yeah. This is. <laughs> I. But I'm just imagining now. Like, do you think he was just too overwhelmed by Venice to uh, even dream of shooting a film there? Like, do you think Tarkovsky got a load of Venice and it was just like what? <laughs> I can't do what? this. The whole basement's flooded. <laughs> it's sinking. 
Great, great impression. <laughs> oh, they've been waiting for it all podcast. Oh, oh my oh god, god, there's so many wet rocks here. This changes everything. Can we drain this? <laughs> Tarkovsky walking in the fence. Can we pump this out? We- Not all the way. A little yeah. bit. A little bit. I want this 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 fresco. It's under like six feet of water. I want like six inches of water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want a guy's boots to be wet uh in every second of Venice. Um God. No, I mean, I think you're actually, that's a that's a good point, Rob. You are not transported to the Italian countryside. You are watching a dude who is very much not being transported to the Italian countryside. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to see a movie about a really bad vacation? Do you want to see a movie mm-hmm. about a poorly planned trip? Well, that's, that's the other thing. Is like, yes. Like, <laughs> National Lampoon's trip to Italy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's the other thing I was thinking. Like, you know, I was like, they did remake this movie with Steve Coogan, Rob Brydon, uh, <laughs> the trip to Italy. Uh, about I never really saw that. Bad. Is that good? The trip movies are really interesting. They are. They are. There's two of them, right? Three. Uh, they are. Okay. They're like it's it's odd because they are comics who like relentlessly do bits with each other, but they are mm-hmm. fundamentally about like badly planned trips uh, with guys in various states of middle age distress. Can I tell you a fun fact about the history of the film Nostalgia? Its original title was A Journey to Italy. <laughs> well, Journey Ooh. doesn't can describe a lot of things. Its alternate title was A Room Without a View. Uh, stupid, stupid. <laughs> I, I will say, by the way, that as far as the badly planned trips go, like when I got a load of the, the place where he was staying, okay. I was like, I am moving heaven and earth to get rebooked somewhere else that night. The this minute is... he turned that light on and the fluorescent was like trembling and shaking and throwing that like awful light across the scene. I was like, I don't care if the, like the Russian composer left a fucking manifesto chiseled into the wall. Like we are getting out of this fucking building. One of the most awkward experiences I've had in recent memory was getting on a train recently uh, on, an, on an Amtrak, and then four people get on immediately after me. Uh, and then two of the people start arguing uh, really, really aggressively. Uh, and then one of them goes, you, fuck this. And he picks up and he grabs his luggage and he tries to leave the train. And then the train starts going and he's so fucking mad. He picks his luggage up and he slams it back into the overhead compartment. He's like, when's the first stop? <laughs> and then two of the four people get off at the first stop while shouting at each other. And then the other two people are on the rest of the train ride, like weeping, try, literally weeping, trying to figure out what to do because the vibes are so bad. <laughs> oh, no. That was the energy that the trip that Eugenia and uh, Andre are on had to me. Or I was like... These are the worst vibes possible. He gets out of that car and she's like, don't you want to take a long walk to this place? And he's like, no, I don't want to take a long fucking walk. I'm so (laughs) tired of you and your pretty scenery. This sucks so bad. Fuck off. We could have parked over there. You knew this. And the bad vibes on that trip are immaculate. uh, What's really funny about that, that, that early scene too is that or at least to me is that he says that in Russian, which as a uh, as a person who speaks two languages, 
you often refer like re- return back to your original when you try to say something private, even though he knows the other person speaks English <laughs> yeah. or, or Russian rather. Sorry, he knows the other person speaks Russian as well. So it's not it's not actually she could overhear him complaining about her beautiful scenes and her sightseeing. It's it's so it's good. Very, I think he knows that. He knows yeah, that. He yeah. wants the vibes to be bad. The vibes Andre are is off. trying to craft the worst vibes possible in the space. Uh, in Also, let me just say, Tarkovsky, uh, Kato sent a picture uh, yeah, in, in the chat of the, of, of the resort, uh, of, of, I believe, the uh, bath yeah, that, that the film takes that place wall, at. That yep. wall back there, like you, that colony, that is where he filmed that. That is the actual location. I think Andre Tarkovsky does such a masterful job of making this beautiful place look like an absolute goddamn shithole. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, Looking who knows this... if in 80-whatever it was more of a shithole than it is now. But... Please write in, Italian <laughs> listeners who were in this area yeah, around who the time of the... the, bag, the you know. bag, bagno vignoni. Is it a shithole? Let us know! <laughs> write in with your comments and observations. God... <laughs> He's such a what a, a man with such a talent for making a room look like the worst version of itself, and somehow in being the worst version of itself, also its truest version of itself. And you imagine say, how relieved you'd be though, like, hey, we're just shooting this one uh, in a fucked up like natural spring. No one's gonna be fatally poisoned on this shoot. Don't worry <laughs> about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh fuck. Hey, what happened yeah. to the guy you intended for this role? Don't worry about Don't it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> I was reading. Yeah, I've read about that. Oh my mm-hmm. god! Mm-hmm. Don't Jesus. ask. Don't ask questions about the first guy and kind of what wait, his. Is that the, wait, did he die because of stalker? Isn't that the whole? There's a number of people like I think had cancers crop up, but that and... happened that quickly. That's oh, part of. Okay, I didn't realize it was. I mean, I read that the, the the original actor was you know did die of cancer. I was not, and I am aware of the separately that the stalker, you know, uh, causing people or the theory that it caused a lot of people to get sick. I just wasn't sure if they were, they were though that tightly connected. Let me, let me, the, oh, well, here's the thing. Uh, here's here's a note about the about Andre Tarkovsky as guy uh, and and Andre as character. Tarkovsky died only a few years later uh, of of I believe a heart condition. So like again, he made one more movie after uh, this, Tark- right? Wait, no, he died of of cancer. Tarkovsky. Oh, right. Yeah, he is one of the people who Stalker killed. Yes. Uh, well, the, the, sorry, the it was not a heart condition. Yeah, the implication is that it was connected to that, right? Like, who? Right. There wasn't. Yeah, one of the other. Uh, I mean, that's also what the movie he made is about, which is the. Yeah. It's, it's just. It's just grim. Um, Christ. Three. What a, what a, so Tarkovsky and two other people. Died in the same way. All, all, yeah. All, that were all on that side. Yeah. Yeah, he made, let's see. Uh, so it was like the sacrifice it's was a movie. Not after quite this. a sac- it's not quite a, I think, as like uh, deadly a movie as The Conqueror, uh, which is the film that like uh, probably killed John Wayne. Um, terrible movie, by the way, but this is the one where he like plays Genghis Khan, which it's just you just on its face is horrible miscasting. But like tons of people, I think, on that set, uh, like developed cancer later in life. But yeah, Didn't- he, he died in eighty two, and this was made in eighty three. Uh, died in eighty six, actually. 
What? Uh, yeah, Tarkovsky. No, no. So, uh, and oh, the, so the, the, other the actor. actor. Got it. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um, the other thing uh, that uh, is worth. Uh, sorry, the other movie that I think of when I think of the bunch of people dying. What is uh It's um. The boat. <sighs> yes, the boat. It's the big <laughs> boat movie. This is a conversation that we. Yes, Fitzcarraldo. Uh, Fitzcarraldo, a movie that the documentary about the making of the movie is better than the actual movie, uh, because um, that director is a is, an, is a weird, insane man. Isn't that that's her? That's song, the, yeah, right? that's, yeah, that's her song. Yeah. God, what a, what a what a good what a good weirdo. Wait, did her song uh, do the documentary? Of? Yes. Right. The, yeah. Yeah. He did both the movie and, and the, the documentary, documentary of about it. the making okay. of That's, the movie. It's a, good, it's a good way to <laughs> look. Sometimes you got to clean up your mess, and doing that is documenting your oh mess. You know, we all make mistakes. Wow. I don't think I'd realize. I thought I thought he had just done the documentary on a somebody else's film, but it was no, <laughs> no. It's his movie about Fitzcarraldo. Bitch. Oh my fucking god. God just made eighty people carry a boat through the jungle. To prove a point. Oh, no. <laughs> what, a, what a little freak. Um, but yeah, it feels like we are, now that we're talking about uh, Werner Herzog, it Wait, feels like, on. do we hold have final on. thoughts on nostalgia? It does be, Burden of Dreams is the only documentary cited about Fitzcarraldo in the Fitzcarraldo wiki, which is not. Oh, okay, so it wasn't him. It wasn't It's less him. blank. So yeah, Got so it's it. like oh, okay, a, um, okay, okay, okay. it's a bit like an Apocalypse Now thing where there's a second filmmaker on set. On uh, set. I see. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Sorry. Uh, uh, okay. It would be pretty arch if like, sorry, I destroyed this production and a ton of your lives. Uh, but I made a sick documentary about it. <laughs> hey, yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, that's that was sort of my point was like, wow, OK. I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> put it past him. I would not put that past. No, right. that's why I took it at face value. Yeah. I just uh, that, the yeah, bus sure. driver turning around POV. <laughs> you're about to drive a busload of people off a cliff. And so the film will be called Fitzcarraldo, he says, while driving the bus off yeah. the cliff. <laughs> God, uh, and it feels like since we're talking about Werner Herzog as opposed to the uh, as opposed to nostalgia, it feels like this is this, this discussion is coming to a close. Yeah, we only had a handful of questions sent in uh, based on Patrick's prompt uh, to Twitter about uh, different scenes about water flowing, uh, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, one of the questions we have is, what is your favorite cubic crystalline variant of ice, frozen water? What? <laughs> what? This is, this is all Patrick gave me. This is the only thing Patrick handed didn't, to me. We didn't get a lot of questions for this, this one. <laughs> what, what's my favorite type of ice? Yes. Mm-hmm. Frozen water. <laughs> you know when they make like little pellets of ice... That are okay, like soft enough to again. crush. Yeah, the good ice. Yeah, yeah, the good ice. ice. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. Look, I can we chew this do- ice and it won't. <laughs> well, I, oh, I do want to. Oh, uh, two things. One, I wanted to credit the YouTube uh, uh, essay that I had mentioned earlier. It comes from. Uh, uh, I'm not super. I'm not familiar with the work. I just found it by by searching on YouTube, but it's a nerd writer one. Yes. And it's an essay called time Tarkovsky and the pandemic, um, which is an essay that is just, is, is time to the length of the, the candle scene. It's, it's, it's really good. Um, um, 
Uh, and then the other one was when I was trying to read up on the film afterwards. Um, and, you know, I think you might be uh, underselling a little bit of how this film was received at the time, um, which like the reviews were uh, brutal <laughs> to, to this film. The New York Times review. This is just a, a graph from it um, from when the Please. film was released. Mr. Tarkovsky, whose earlier films include uh, Andrei Rublev, Solaris, uh, and Stalker, uh, may well be a film poet, but he's a film poet with a tiny vocabulary, which is just Whoa. one of the most brutal lines I have ever <laughs> read Damn. in a review. The same eventually boring images keep reoccurring in film after film. Shots of damp landscapes, marshes, hills and fog, and abandoned buildings with roofs that leak. The meaning of water in his films isn't as interesting to me as the question of how his actors keep their feet reasonably dry. They don't. They don't. The answer is no. Everyone's got wet feet. (laughs) No, they got damp socks. Every one of those motherfuckers. Yeah. It's a beautifully crafted piece of negative criticism. Like the, 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 the line eventually boring images is incredible. (laughs) Someone was, I was talking with someone recently and they're like, Renata, your condemnatory writing has been getting better recently. And I was like, thank you. And like condemn, this is a condemnatory review, which I I respect as a, as a form. Eventually boring is just a great phrase. So I will say, so there's a Tarkovsky fan site, uh, nostalgia.com that documented a I'm just asking questions of Mr. Roger Ebert exchange they had <laughs> trying to get into a fight with him over uh, an offhanded comment he makes about Tarkovsky. They interview a different person who interviewed Ebert to be like, what do you think he meant by this? Uh, and so like this, this thread I'm, I'm linking, it is just like a series of updates. As they try to get to the bottom of this and eventually they do get a hold of Ebert and his response is film for 100 years is about has been about an eye to the audience and a desire to please. So if theater and music for 2000 years, one can, of course, be pleased at a higher level. But Tarkovsky's fault as an artist was complete indifference to his audience. Best R.E. <laughs> and then like another full page of being like, well, it's odd that he would say that because this is what Tarkovsky It's great. I mean, he's uh, not wrong, right? Like, I can't, you know, I, I've only seen two of his works, but I would say indifference to the audience is. I do like, not think for instance, Andre Rublev would change your verdict on him. Uh, no, like, no, but 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 it's a feature, not a bug. Yeah. And I think like Ebert's response is, well, essentially, like I reject that as like a form of film that I enjoy. I think I'm I think I'm with Ebert on this one but at the same time like it's it's descriptive of the work it is yeah. it is it is in it is indifferent to the audience's desire to be and when you use the word pleasure that can mean a lot of things it doesn't mean you have to be happy necessarily right but I th- it is indifferent to the audience in in many ways yeah it it doesn't care if you leave with the meaning that it was that it was providing a, a couple of pe- some people do I like I like it a lot, but like that's because I'm a little freak, and I know that. You know, I, 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 <laughs> I wonder. Robert have to read this freak. paragraph from this exchange. Oh my god, I didn't read. I read this or I looked at it when you sent it to me originally. A brief follow up to yesterday's column. Our alert readers were quick to inform us that Roger Ebert actually has reviewed an additional Tarkovsky film, namely The Sacrifice. The review is 
in our mind, not particularly well written, but you may wish to check for yourself, which is just, (laughs) my God. This is the most 2003 internet writing I've Mm -hmm. ever seen, where it's just like the clauses, beautiful, the like, Reddit atheist, uh, I bet you didn't see this. You should check for yourself. I'm an online skeptic. Energy is just fantastic. Seeping. Like, what a treasure for to you to have found this, Rob. My life is my my life is better for her. like this was all worth it to to read this page. Like this, my life is enhanced as a result of reading these exchanges. The vibes are so bad. <laughs> And and with this, I think we can bring our discussion of nostalgia to a close. Patrick, next yes. week. It's Wait, your next, turn. Next, next week. We only got one question? Next. It's not. Rob, the first Rob, question was test, good. and the other question was, uh, and test was when I submitted. Was ice. Oh, hold on. Well, hold on. Um, let's see. Um, we've had two others. Uh, test, never seen this film. Could this make as good a video game as Stalker? No. Um, well, 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 what about, what about, what about a 90s pixel art point and click adventure sure. game? Okay. Actually, so here's, here's about the thing. I don't the think you have to imagine very hard to, to see it. Like, this is such a like Chinese room style, like film, like, it, like that's how it would be made. I think is the, the thing that games sometimes do is like the ability to you can turn around and the scene is dissolved and you're somewhere else like the mm-hmm. the idea that you can be instantly transported to a different context and frame like i think like 100 this stuff is uh games do lean into this because this is something the medium actually does lend itself to yeah i mean like to to quickly like go into annoying theory for a bit like games are actually pretty frequently compared to poetry as forms um in, in some interesting ways. And so like the weird poeticism of Tarkovsky and like dreamlike quality, like I think translates really, really well um, through like the, the poetry angle. And so, yeah. Uh, but, if the shot of the water is slow enough, does it become ice? Now, hmm. this is a good question. What is happening? Interesting. <laughs> the shot of the water is slow. I if mean, slow you could get uh, hydrostatic flow. Which is that's that's always really cool to look at. That's 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 that looks like ice and it's flowing at the same time. Uh, Makes you think. Yes, yeah. I, I saw this as a uh, in the, the nostalgia Wikipedia page, but I wasn't sure of the context. But this uh, comes uh, Dicky from London. Uh, Hi, Pointerinos. Long time, first time. Sometimes I feel like I made this up, but if my memory is correct, I refuse to Google this to check. Fantastic! That's so good. <laughs> there is a secret Easter egg hidden ending in the witness. From 2016, in which you complete a challenging puzzle to review, reveal a geometric code, which you subsequently enter into a hidden terminal and are rewarded with the opportunity to watch the climactic candle scene from uh, Tarkovsky's Nostalgia, projected onto a wall within the game, the world of the game. As a card carrying the Witness Defender, please note, this is not the same as a Jonathan Blow Defender. That's a very a great caveat. <laughs> My question to you is simply, why? What can Nostalgia 1983 tell us about the Witness 2016? And what could the Witness... 2016. Tell us about Nostalgia, 1983. Thanks for all you do and for taking such entertaining and wild swings with this film series. Fuck capitalism. Dickie from London. I never, I never, I didn't like The Witness, so I never got far enough to see any of this stuff. Was I was the, 16. I didn't play that shit. Yeah. 
Robin, <laughs> you, do not, you do not click with the witness. I liked Braid quite a bit, and I, I gave the witness like seven hours, and then I, I didn't want to play anymore. But yes, I have, I have heard that this is, that's interesting that it's in there. Um, not shocking that Jonathan Blow would put something like that in his game, but I, I don't know the context. But um, that's all we got. Um, except, I guess, yeah, for uh, next up. Um, so, struggled on this one. Was trying to figure out where to go. I'm like clicking through the IMDb page of this film, trying to like figure out like what's where can I jump. So I just started doing some searching, um, and I'm going to read a quote. <clears throat> we looked at everything from Andrei Rublev, which is, I think, one of the greatest movies ever made, and which you could never make now. It cost hundreds of millions of dollars. But that was a great visual touchstone for us. We looked at Willow, the Ron Howard film, which is one of my favorite fantasy films of all time. We looked at a lot of 80s fantasy, to be honest, like Lady Hawk and Dragon Slayer and Willow. Those were big ones for us because they were fantasy. They weren't tied to a specific time and place in human history, and yet they felt... Uh, like a grounded reality. There's a quote from filmmaker David Lowry, who is one of my favorites. And I want us to watch 2021's The Green Knight. I was about to ask <laughs> if it was The Green Knight. I don't, I don't even know the director of that fucking movie, but you said, damn, I'm proud of myself for that one. Good job, Renata. It's one of my Let's favorite films go. of the last 10 years. One of the most visually striking movies I have seen. I think about this film all the fucking time. Um, and it's really good. I've wanted an excuse to watch nice. Dev Patel masturbate again. <laughs> um, oh, hell yeah. Can we do the lighthouse uh, next? I love a jack off film. Can we do the lighthouse yeah, next? Uh, That's how you connect those two. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know what? You know, you find your connections where you can. Um, and so, uh, yes, that is where we're going to be going, uh, next. Has, has, that, has everyone seen this before? Has anyone, has anyone seen this before? Nope. You wait, you you never saw it. Just, it's just you and me. I think so. Holy Fuck, man. shit! This, you, Rob, yes. Rob, Rob, Rob. Like you are in for a ride, my buddy. You are gonna love this movie. I'm surprised you didn't I see be, it. Yeah, um, oh, it's it's great. Um, wait, did you? David Lowry is just hold a, on. Uh, yeah, Rob, did you purposely avoid it for some reason, or was it just like? So it was like. Wasn't going to theaters at the time. Right, and I yep. just remember, like, I was like, I'll wait for it to come up on stream, but I feel like it hasn't really. Um, it was up. So that's it how went, I, it, it was. It came out like three weeks after it was in theaters. It just, well, went to VOD, but it didn't go up on like a next HBO Max. Right, or, right. Right. That's kind of what I was like. I was like, I'll catch it after it's on VOD and I'll, I'll but I feel like it never showed up. It, it, it uh, I saw it on the um, <coughs> A24 does that thing now where like, they have like a one night showing the screening room the where screening you pay a, like extra money to watch it at home a little yeah. bit before it goes to VOD. Yeah, yeah, they've yeah. done it for a handful of their I films. did that. I did um, that for the Green Knight because I was really excited to see it and it fucking awesome. Yeah. So, good I'm, pull. I'm I think, excited. yeah, really good pull actually it's, relating to this movie. It's awesome. It's, yeah. it's, well, I, I was trying to go down a road as like, like, how do I find influences? Yeah. And unfortunately, like, pull, like, you know, at least from my searching, like a lot of people cite like deeply loving Tarkovsky's work, not necessarily incorporating any lessons from Tarkovsky's work. <laughs> I'm not saying that's exclusive, but I'm just saying like it was difficult to like find a ton of films, at least ones that like I I would want to choose to mm -hmm. watch or rewatch. Um, so when I found this quote, got me very excited. If 
Like, I love everything this man has done. Like, Ghost Story, Pete's Dragon. Like, Pete's Dragon, that movie is sick. Like, it's great. Like, I know why he directed a film for Disney, a, a remake of Pete's Dragon. Why would that be any good? You're going to watch this, and the first thing you're going to ask yourself is, I need to see what this man did with Pete's Dragon. And I, I'm not saying it's like a dark tale, but it's 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 a lot better than than you'd think. So... Uh, yes, the next uh, turn of the wheel, my turn, is the Green Knight. What a good pick. Holy shit. Hell yeah. I am, I am extremely excited. The other option was Annihilation, which was d- d- t- tough to not also pick, good. but um, <laughs> I, I thought fewer people would have seen this, and so I thought that made it a more interesting uh, pick to, to Don't go. Don't worry. I'll make us watch Annihilation eventually. I, 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 I figured yeah, Annihilation would come that. up during all of this at some point, so... Like that one, that just seems like catnap at some point for for waypoint. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, I felt like I had a good chance for a couple folks to be exposed Sneaking to something. In. Yeah. Huh. Who who's who's next? I've I've already lost the order of this. Who's after I think Patrick? It might be audience pick, right? Who's next is audience. Yeah, audience. Yeah, next audience is next, and um, then um, it would be Rob, right? Yes. Rob. Yeah, it would be Rob. Audience, yeah. then Rob, and then and back then. to the original order. Um, yeah. Um, because we get like okay. went back and forth, yeah, so yeah. Uh, yeah. So, all right, take us take us out, man. All righty, uh, thank you all for joining us. You can uh, find everyone on Twitter. Uh, you can find us Waypoint on Twitter uh, at Waypoint. Uh, you can find our YouTube and video streams on uh, YouTube.com/slash Waypoint Vice. Uh, you can find us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash waypoint. You can find uh, all of our rating at waypoint.zone. Uh, Patrick, where can people find you on Twitter? At Patrick Lepic. Kato? At A underscore Kato underscore appears. Rob? At Rob Zachney. You can follow me on Twitter at Ren or Raven, and you can support us by going to waypointplus.com. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>